This episode takes us back to June 2009, a hot summer. The number one song on the radio was Boom Boom Pal by the Black Eyed Peas. Obama was president. I was working at Ruby Tuesdays in Lumberton, the town I grew up in. And that month, a girl I went to high school with went missing. And days later, she was found in the woods dead, with a gunshot wound to her head and her hands removed. This is the story of the suspicious death of Casey Elaine Young. Wow, so this is another case of a person who came in contact with through your high school, like in the case of Marcy. So did you know Casey Brittany? No, I didn't know Casey. And actually, I don't remember her, but I was also a nerd. And actually, that's even a miscategorization because that would imply that I am no longer a nerd now. And I definitely still am. So I didn't know Casey and we didn't have any classes together. And also the high school that I went to, which is Lumberton High, had over 2,000 people there when I was there. So it was impossible really to know everybody. But pretty much all my friends who I talked to about this and people who I knew from school do remember Casey. And everybody said that she was really sweet and nice. And just for a quick physical description of Casey, so she had kind of light olive skin tone and long black hair. And she was also lumpy like Brittany and I. And she loved basketball. She played in school and was on the varsity team at Lumberton. Here's a clip of her former coach, Janet Woodale, talking about Casey and how she met her. My first year coaching at Lumberton High School, um, 2002, um, I started coaching basketball. And I ended up coaching freshman girls basketball. And that was her first year trying out there. And then, of course, you know, she made the team. That was my first encounter with her. And I coached her the next year. I actually moved from freshman basketball to JV basketball. So I actually had two consecutive years of coaching her. And I was able to watch her grow as a basketball player. And here's two more clips from Janet talking about Casey and her personality and the impact that she left on her. She was very humble. Uh, As far as a coach, when you... You know, when you critique a player or you, you give them feedback, she was always the type that took it. Um, she didn't take it to heart. She didn't take it personally. She understood what, you know, what I was asking for, and she did it. Um, she was an excellent team leader. Um, everyone listened to her. You know, they, she could rally everybody together when it was time to play basketball. And best three-point shooter I ever had. And I coached, you know, quite a number of years there at Lumberton High School. She was one of the best three-point shooters I had, and that's why I remember her. So, you know, not only her personality, but just her ability to be able to shoot that basketball. Yeah. That's so amazing. And and I think that's also um, another thing to think about, too, like, remembering her being so teachable, because that's how you become an even better athlete, is you have to be able to be coached. Yeah. And that first year with them, actually, uh, we went to a championship game. You know, they didn't have championships for freshman basketball, but we only lost um, two games. That was a championship game and one other game that year. So it was an awesome season that year. Wow. And you, yeah. do you think that's maybe part of why you were so connected to those girls, or was it other it, things? It is. It is. They were – and they we could talk and sit, and we were a big family, even their parents. You know, even Casey's dad, I remember just – 
you know, sitting on the bench watching the boys play. And we would always sit and talk about the game. And he talked, you know, about Casey so much, you know, how, how much he, he just enjoyed watching her play basketball because he knew how much she loved it. And he was there every game. As much as he could, he would be there. Wow, that's so amazing. And then you said she's the best three-point shooter that you ever coached to. And one thing I found out, too, is that um, in my research on her is that she was a Duke fan. And, you know, I went to Duke, so I had to bring that up. And, you know, at Duke, we're known for our, you know, three-point shots. And so that made me think about Casey whenever you were saying that, so... That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that too. That's that's so sweet that they got you that and that you still have it and everything. And so yeah, Casey was humble, kind, and a great basketball player and a good leader. And from talking with a few of her friends, it seems like she was also an amazing friend too. But I talked to another one of her former teachers named Miss Shannon Brayboy, and she said that her first two years of high school that Casey seemed kind of innocent and sweet, but during her last two years, there was a very noticeable change in Casey. She said that she got kind of tough, she got like a visible tattoo of a girl's name on her, and that she was just different from how she used to be, and also a little bit more moody as well. Yeah, and you know, we all go through things in high school and have our moods and attitudes, but this seemed different, more sharp and sudden and definitely more drastic, especially with getting a tattoo while in high school. And Brittany, do you know what her home life was kind of like? So I don't know a lot, but some people do say that she had kind of a rough childhood. And I know that she didn't live with her parents. She lived with her maternal grandma who raised her. And one of her friends, whose name's Tawana, she told me that Casey's grandma was her whole world. And I know a lot of Lumbee girls have a very special bond with their grandmas, including me. But Casey was especially close with hers. And as far as her relationship with her mama, it seems kind of like it was a little bit strained. And I think her mama was a chronic drug user, so that caused a lot of problems for Casey. But I do know that her daddy was present in her life. And also, since you mentioned about the tattoo she had early of her girl's name, it's important for our listeners to know that Casey was a member of the LGBTQ community. And, you know, thinking of her personality change, I know personally from growing up in Robinson County that our community is very very hard on LGBTQ people and a lot of our churches preach that kind of fire and brimstone style of preaching and there's a lot of just homophobia in the area unfortunately so I'm sure that probably weighed heavily on Casey as well. And I think that's a really great point to make and great for our listeners to be aware of who don't have a lot of context about Robinson County and also Casey is, to our knowledge, the first case of an LGBTQ person that we've covered so far. And so it's important, I think, for us to highlight a few of the statistics. So LGBTQ people are statistically more likely to be victims of violent crime. 
and for non-LGBTQ people, about 20 in 1,000 will be victims of violent crime in their lifetime, but LGBTQ rates are almost three times that at 70 out of 1,000 people. Also, LGBTQ people are more likely to experience homelessness, commit suicide, and experience discrimination as well. And additionally, 20% of all hate crimes are LGBTQ related. And I think it's also critical to note, especially because of what ends up happening here. So in 2006, Casey graduated from high school. And by 2009, so just three years later, she's working at a plant called Smithfield. But another source said she was working as a nurse's aide. So I'm not sure if she worked two jobs, um, but she was just 21 years old at the time. One day on Thursday, June 11th, Casey just didn't show up for work. Her family and friends couldn't get a hold of her. They're calling her, texting her, and no reply. And we also learned that Casey was also in regular contact with her grandma and was never out of touch with her for too long. And so the family and Casey's friends start searching for her immediately, but they can't find her. They search the property where she lives, they call people she knew, and just look around the general area for clues as to where Casey went. And I found out from a friend of hers that they tried to report her missing, but the police told them that they couldn't yet and would have to wait a few days since she was 21 years old. And just, you know, here, you know, with that information, I just kind of need to pause because what does somebody's age have to do with them being missing or not? And if it's not, if it's like outside of the realm of what this person's behavior is typically like, then I would think that a police officer or, you know, police department would take that more seriously. You know, if she is normally very easy to reach and doesn't miss work, the police should have totally at least done some kind of initial investigation. But they didn't allow them to file the report until 48 hours after she had gone missing. And four days after she went missing, on Monday, June 15th, her family notices a strong odor outside their house. And at about 7 o'clock that night, they follow the smell, and it leads them to the woods. And they don't have to walk for long, when there, a few hundred yards from her home, they discover Casey's body on the ground. And I know we say this all the time, but like I can't imagine finding a body like that. This reminds me so much of the Highway of Tears episode with the family of Jessica found her body too because police just wouldn't look. It's just so traumatic for her family or friends to find someone like that. Brittany, I can't imagine like stumbling upon someone I know and love like lying dead somewhere. Yeah, and then not only that, but the way she was found was just horrific. So some sources say that her body was mutilated, but others all say this for sure, that her body was decomposing and that her hands were removed. And I'm not sure if they were cut off or how that happened, but the sheriff's department said that they believe her hands were eaten by a wild animal. And here is where I want to ask you, Chelsea, like, what do you think about that? Do you think an animal would eat a person's hands off? Um, no. So, I mean, I would assume that an animal would want to eat a more fatty part of your body. Like, I could imagine maybe, like, you know, your stomach or your thighs. Like, the hands are probably the boniest part of a body. And it just doesn't seem like an animal would go for that. And, like, for both hands to be completely missing, like, it doesn't seem like it kind of really adds up like animal. It's not like animals are like clean eaters. Like, Oh, let me just take right below her wrist. Um, it really doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I was just going to say. Why would an animal purposely eat both hands? That makes no sense at all. Like why would they eat one hand and then go over to the other side of her body and eat the other hand? And to me, it just seems more like human activity than animal activity. And I was thinking, you know, about like what kind of animals are in Robinson County like that in the woods. And then also what kind of animals 
eat dead bodies. So I was thinking of like vultures or maybe wild dogs or coyotes or something. And so I did a lot of research on this. And in my research on this case, I went very deep, y'all, because there's only like three articles about Casey online. And so I had to do my own kind of digging. And so I googled what parts of the body vultures eat first. And it said that they eat the eyes and the butt because those are the softest part of the body. And then I found another article called Organ Consumption of Predators and not one known predator eats the hands of its victims. They go for the heart, liver, brain, stomach, and again, the meaty, fleshy parts like that, not bony parts on the body like a hand. And I searched too for other victims who were found without their hands and every single one of those cases that I found um, was of a person who had been murdered by somebody. Y'all, this is all just so bizarre, but we're about to blow your mind even more. In addition to her her hands being missing, she was found with a single gunshot wound to the right side of her head. Now, pretty quickly, the cops ruled this as a suicide, which stuns her family and friends who say that Casey was not suicidal. But, and this is where things get weirder, because Casey was left-handed. And even though some people do use their non-dominant hand to commit suicide, it is very rare. Most people use their dominant hand to hold the gun. And, like, Brittany, I don't know about you, but, like, anytime I've shot a gun, which has not been that often, like, it's kind of hard to pull the trigger. I couldn't imagine doing it with just my left hand, which is my non-dominant hand. Well, I ain't never shot a gun, so thank you for providing that um, expertise from yourself there. But, you know, when I found out about this about her being left-handed but the gunshot being on the right side I was just honestly very shook about it and you know it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me but however again things are about to get even more strange because we also found out that on the day that she went missing there were voicemails left for her um, on her phone from a girl who she had been seeing at the time and the girl who we won't name begged her not to do it like she was pleading with Casey so the police used this also as proof that Casey did commit suicide and I reached out to the girl from the voicemails and she didn't get back with me about the nature of those calls so I don't know any additional information about that but what I do know is that Casey's body was found in an area like we said earlier just a few hundred yards from her house but this area had been searched thoroughly by her family and friends in the days before she was found including the exact same spot where Casey was found. And she was also found on the edge of the woods, not deep in the woods too. So either she went out there after they searched it and killed herself there, or somebody killed her there later, or they killed her and and then took her body there after the fact. Yeah, and another strange part of this is that Casey's mom claimed that Casey had left to go to work that day. However, Casey's car was home as well as her work boots, so she clearly had not left. And the gun that was used was her grandmother's gun, and it was found beside her body in the woods. And you know, this case, you know, could very well be a suicide. But there are just so many questions, especially about the gunshot wound to the right side and about her hands being missing. And, you know, just thinking about that, like if your hands are missing, then they can't test for gunshot powder residue. And we know that it's impossible to fire a gun without getting that on your hands. And also in a lot of crime shows that I, you know, watch and listen to, they'll check underneath a victim's fingernails for DNA of a killer. Like if the victim fought back, there would be skin cells from the killer underneath their nails if they scratched them or something like that, um, you know, trying to fight them off. So Casey's hands could have been removed by the killer to eliminate evidence. So that's a really good point. And it just makes me wonder if they even check the gun for prints. Do you know, Brittany? 
So I don't know if they did. I'm assuming, honestly, that they didn't just because they ruled it as a suicide very quickly. But I, again, I don't know. Yeah, it does seem like the sheriff's department was just so quick to rule it as a suicide when just like the missing hands thing that we keep talking about, I wouldn't be able to get over it if I was an investigator. And I'm not sure if they investigated this crime thoroughly enough or not, but perhaps one of the most shocking elements of this case is Casey's mother's behavior shortly after Casey went missing and when she was later found. Sources say that the day after she went missing was Casey's payday, so Casey's mama actually went to her job at the plant to get her check. They also say that she went to get the money out of her bank account as well, and also Casey's mama was a police informant and had asked the sheriff at the time to rule the case as a suicide and close it. And to me, that doesn't like strike me as kind of motherly things to do. Like if my mama was going to go to the bank and cashing my check after I went missing like I would be so upset like I need her out there searching for me yeah I think that would be the last thing that most people who care about you would even be worried about like they're not going to be worried about getting your money like you you're going to be worried about finding your child like getting her case in the news doing a search party and things like that and so obviously that was not what was on her mom's mind at that time so um you know I don't really know what else to say about that but another thing about that too you know is Casey was a pretty strong girl so she played basketball for years and she probably could have handled her own in a fight and our sources agree and think that perhaps her mama was involved with another person And actually, a friend of Casey's hired a psychic to go to the scene where she was found. And the psychic said a man and a woman killed her. But, you know, there's just too much suspicious stuff for me about this case in general. And others say that she had had a fight with her mom or that her mom had found out that Casey liked girls or that Casey was depressed about a girlfriend. And so these theories can either support the belief that she committed suicide or that she was perhaps murdered by somebody who she had a conflict with or even, you know, perhaps even by a total stranger. But another friend of Casey's told me that Casey was very afraid of the dark and that the area she lived in was not very well lit and that she knew Casey would never have wandered into the woods willingly alone like that. Me and Casey had that in common. Right. Find me in the woods alone at night. (laughs) Me either. And this is pretty much where our story ends, though there's some evidence to suggest that it could have been a suicide. There's also just really strong evidence to suggest that Casey really was murdered, that her hands were removed to get rid of evidence, and that the gun was left there to stage it as a suicide. I think either way, the Sheriff's Department could reopen the case and take another look, especially regarding the location of the gunshot and, you know, just... The hands, the hands, the hands that we keep talking about because it really is so strange. Right. And Casey was laid to rest on June 20th, 2009, and sources say that her grandmother died soon after. Casey's mama also died on June the 10th, 2014, almost exactly five years from the date that her daughter died on June 11th, 2009. Some believe that maybe the truth died with her and maybe we'll never know. But what we do know is that Casey was an awesome person and that she did not deserve what happened to her. In this podcast, we really try to give you all a feel for the person, you know, to remind you that they were just like all of us. They loved basketball, their friends and their grandmas. They worked hard, cried, laughed, caught an attitude. 
So in every single case we cover, we hope to show you the humanity of the person that the world lost too soon. Closing out today's episode, we're just going to have a snippet from one of her friends, Tawana Jacobs. Here she is. Casey was, that was my best friend. She was my daughter's godmother. She was a very nice person. She'd get along with anybody. She was an ordinary person. You have your downfalls and you have your ups. Ask anybody. But, I mean, she never met a stranger. She would always help anybody out. She would try to find the good and the bad. Yeah. I talked to one of my friends, and she said that um, she had a class with Casey. And she said that there was a girl in the class who was kind of like bullying her, like bullying my friend. And that Casey, like, stood up and said something to the girl so that she would leave my friend alone. And so, you know, just it seems like a lot of people really love Casey. And it seems like she was a very nice person and, you know, easy to get along with. Yeah, when I had my little girl now. I was I mean, I was pregnant with my little girl. She she's my little girl's godmother. She's like she'll never be priest. She's gonna always play basketball to her. <laughs> if she was alive right now, she would die because <laughs> she's the total opposite. She's priest. Oh Lord, she likes <laughs> bows, not basketball. Yeah. yeah, she likes bows, not basketball. <laughs> so I mean, I miss her every day. I mean, she made a lot of friends. She left a big impact on people. I mean, I, I wish there was something that we could, you know, get a better understanding what really happened, but nobody knows what really happened but her, the good Lord above, and whatever happened. If you have any information about the death of Casey Elaine Young and what happened to her in June 2009, please come forward. Also, please don't forget to interact with us on Facebook or Instagram where we've posted a picture of Casey. If you were her friend, comment a memory you had with her. And if you didn't know Casey, just let us know what you thought about this episode and also let us know what other cases you might like for us to cover. Thank you again for listening to The Red Justice Project.